It's episode 35 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Keto for Women. Thanks, as always, for joining me yet again. And a special day today because we're talking all about digestion and poop and all that good stuff, which for a lot of women is not something we talk about that often. For me, it's something I talk about every single day. And it's one of my very favorite topics besides keto. So to do an episode where I'm talking about keto and I'm talking about poop in the same day at the same time is pretty darn special. So it's a great day for me. Before we get going with the show, let's chat about the sponsor of this episode of the Keto for Women show, Health IQ. Health IQ is an insurance company that helps health conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and healthy eaters get lower rates on their life insurance. Health IQ can save their customers up to 33% because they have found scientific proof showing physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who are inactive. Like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. I've partnered with Health IQ because I'm a huge fan of their philosophy on recognizing those that take their health seriously, like us Keto for Womeners, and rewarding us for doing so by saving us money on our life insurance rates. Head to healthiq.com slash keto to see if you qualify and to support the show. There, you will take a quick lifestyle quiz, which will determine your potential savings. That's healthiq.com slash keto to learn more. Before we get into today's topics, let's just have a few quick updates. Not really a whole lot to mention, mainly just some reminders today. First of all, the schedule that I have over the next couple of months, I'd love to meet some of you at these events that I will be at. So just a reminder that if you are or even if you're not a nutritional therapist, if you have been through the Nutritional Therapy Association course and have become an NTP or an NTC, then you can go to the conference. But even if you aren't, you still can go to the conference. Anyone can attend. And it's coming up in the next few weeks, actually. It's the first weekend of March in Vancouver, Washington, which is about two steps away from Portland, Oregon. So I like to just say that it's in Portland. It makes it way easier for people to know where it's at. I will be there. A ton of other people that you know will be there. There will be a panel that I will be speaking on about implementing low-carb diets for clients and kind of getting over some of the triggers and pushback and things like that to get someone to go low carb. So that will be a fun time. Then I go straight from there over to Spain again. So my next trip to Spain is coming up really quick. That's the second weekend in March. And I know some of you, I already know for sure, there are a couple of you listeners that are going to that Keto Ladies Conference as part of the Low Carb Universe 
tour of conferences. They're doing a special Keto Ladies one, and I will be there speaking on Keto for Hormones. So that will be a great time. And then I'm also doing kind of a breakout session about just kind of how to find Keto as a lifestyle and find what works for you and that kind of thing. So more of like a group setting too for that. So that's coming up really quick. And if you at all have any possibility of making that something that you do, do it. You will not for one second regret it. It is the most fabulous time in the most fabulous place with the most fabulous group of women and speakers and guests come all together and become friends. And there's this amazing food for every single meal and it's all included as part of the package. So it's a really great time. So definitely look into that if at all possible for you to go to Europe in mid-March. That would be fabulous. And then I have a little bit of a break. And then mid-May, I'm headed to the Caribbean on the low-carb keto cruise. And just found out there, I will be speaking about why keto is different for women. So that will be fun too. And it's a whole week-long cruise. And I really like it because it's like half vacation and half learning experience. So you get to do both. You know, there are days that are just full travel, vacation, sightseeing time. And then there are full days at our conference and it's kind of back and forth and it's really great. And you're on a boat, obviously in a beautiful location all the time. So it makes it really fun. And then just announced, I don't even know if I've said it here on Keto for Women yet. If not, then now you have some new information. Also just was invited to speak at the KetoCon conference. So KetoCon happens mid-June and it's in Austin, Texas. Last year was the first year. I didn't actually get a chance to go, but I heard it was awesome. Huge event, tons of speakers, tons of sponsors, and just a big group of people all ketoing it up. So that's always fun. And it's expected to be like, I think even double what it was last year. So a really big event with lots of really good speakers. And I don't know exactly what I'm speaking on yet, but it'll probably be somewhere in the realm of keto for women, (laughs) hormones, that kind of thing, if I had to guess. So that's another one to look into. So all of the links to all of these events that I just shared will be in the show notes to this episode. So you can just go to my website, seanminer.com and head to the spot where it says keto for women and you can get this information and check those events out. I mean, maybe you can't go to Spain, but Austin's not far for a lot of you. So maybe June in Austin would be something that that you could look into too. And we can meet in person, which is always just the best time um, putting a face to those ears out there is really fun for me because as of right now, I'm staring out my window instead of looking at your beautiful faces. So it'd be a nice change. The only other thing is just a reminder, we still have a little bit of time, but I'll talk more as it gets closer. But of course, we do have an upcoming class for the Fat Burning Female Project. This group is currently starting week five, and this is where we really become intuitive with our keto approach. So we have now gotten into ketosis and really gotten a feel for what a ketogenic diet looks like and feels like. And now it's time to spread our wings and learn how to intuitively eat keto and learn what our body responds to and doesn't respond to and likes and doesn't and all that good stuff. So that's week five of the Fat Burning Female Project, which is my absolute favorite week. I cannot wait for these ladies to go through it and get that under their belts. 
And if you want to be part of the next project, the enrollment starts February 27th and class starts March 5th. So not too far away. I think that this would be a really good opportunity if there are some of you out there who are doing keto maybe for the first time and just tried it in January 2018, tried to kick it off on your own and maybe it didn't go so well or you're not feeling as good as you thought you should be or you have just some questions. I mean, really all it is is this huge community of women who are like-minded that have, you know, me and others to kind of bounce ideas off of and get help with things. So if you're one of those people that just maybe wants a little bit more guidance or to have the community of ladies to really support you in this process, then Fat Burning Female is where you're going to want to be for sure. So like I said, mark your calendars for February 27th to enroll and then class starts March 5th. So really coming up quickly. All right, done with those. And lastly, just so we all know, if you have questions for the show, you are sending those questions to info at ketoforwomenshow.com. If you want to connect with me and just kind of see what's up, follow me on social media. You are going to find me at Sean Minor Health on both Instagram and Facebook. And you can watch my stories. That's where I'm just like the real me, no makeup, no filter, nothing, just me, me being me. So if you want a sneak peek at my life behind the scenes, definitely check out stories, which you can now get both Instagram and Facebook stories. Really fun. And then I post the more curated me on the actual feeds, which mm, fun, but not really that fun. Stories are way better (laughs) if I do say so myself. All right. That's enough about me. Let's chat about you and your digestive system. That's always fun. Now, it doesn't necessarily seem like keto and digestion would be something that go hand in hand and are tightly connected, but they so are. And if you're someone who went keto and then all of a sudden started having weird digestive issues, there's a reason for that. There's also a reason why keto can heal your digestion. And so I think it's just really important to go through all of that and to really notice the connection. And even if you're not someone who currently has digestive issues, if you're rocking the digestion and your poop's great, then cool, that's amazing. And hopefully it stays that way forever. But as someone who has had digestive issues in the past and any of our fellow listeners out there who have currently or have had digestive issues in the past, it can turn on a moment's notice. You can go from one day being the most regular person ever to all of a sudden just having a total disaster on your hands and not knowing what's going on. It happens very quickly. So it's really something that everyone, regardless of your current status, you really should get the knowledge under your belt and feel comfortable knowing a little bit more about your digestion and what you can look at when it's not going well, like what could be going on. So we're going to talk about that too. To start, let's talk about what happens when your digestion is working well or how your digestion should work. We actually start our digestive process in our brain. So before we even eat food, look at food, whatever, just the thought of eating starts our digestive cascade. It gets those salivary glands going and just all your senses really working so that you're already starting that process. So then when you do eat, 
you have the ability to start breaking down your food. And the breakdown process starts obviously by chewing. So we are chewing our food. And then it also, our salivary glands produce saliva. And that starts the breakdown of carbohydrates in our mouth. So that digestive process is already started the first bite of food we take. And really, before even that first bite, right? So to get all that process ready, the brain senses that as well. So really important to take the time to get the engine revving before you even take your first bite. And then, of course, to chew your food. From there, our food goes into our stomach, which is a highly acidic environment. Super, super acidic, like to the point where... It's dangerous to anything else but our stomach. Our stomach is obviously built to be able to have that pH level be so acidic that it can start, again, really working on breaking down the food. And this is primarily where our protein gets broken down. Protein is really hard to break down, and we need that really acidic environment to get that process going. What also happens when we have this acidic stomach is that we also start the rest of our digestive flow and get that going. So that is also the trigger that then announces to the liver to have the gallbladder release bile so that you can break down your fats and also tells the pancreas to release digestive enzymes so that you can really fully break down all the foods that you've just eaten and get those into fatty acids, into amino acids, break those carbohydrates into glucose molecules, everything that we need to do in order to get the benefit of the foods that we're eating as energy and as nutrients, all that good stuff. Then you have kind of this ball of just stuff that's ready to continue on through the digestive process. Then it goes into your small intestine, all the way down to your large intestine, and then releases as waste. So the whole process requires a muscular contraction, kind of this wave-like contraction called the MMC or migrating motor complex. And that's what really keeps everything moving along, gets you to not be constipated, to have these regular bowel movements, and to release waste when you're supposed to release waste, to not have anything sitting too long and in any specific place. So that's a really important concept too, that that migrating motor complex or MMC should be functioning properly. And then your colon absorbs water so that it keeps it from, absorbs water, vitamins, minerals, and that kind of thing so that you're not releasing those into your waste. So you have a nice formed stool and everything is great. So you can see it's a process, but it's a very clean, clear-cut, simple process. Of course, there's a ton of things happening, but our body is meant to do that and we have all the tools needed to do so. Now, the things that can go wrong. So the biggest things that can go wrong that I see in my practice, first of all, we're not taking the time to eat our food and we're not taking the time to sit down to get into a parasympathetic state, which I should mention is needed for any of this digestive process to happen. So there's parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest mode, and there's the sympathetic, which is the fight or flight mode. 
That's the mode that we're in when we're releasing cortisol, when we're a little bit stressed out or a lot of it stressed out. And, you know, we're kind of in this like go, go, go mentality. Now, as you can probably guess, we're all in that flight or fight mode way too often. And it's really hard for our bodies to get out of that and switch over into parasympathetic or this rest and digest mode. So right then and there, we're already dampening our ability to digest food just by not making that switch, not having our bodies have the ability to make that change so that you can be relaxed and able to start your digestive process. So right there, that's probably the biggest thing that I see in women is like, you're not taking the time to sit down, have a few breaths, have your phone and your TV and your computer away from you so that you can fully connect with your food and the environment and who you're eating with and have this amazing conversation or just eat in silence. But we're not really making the meal time a time of relaxation. We're eating in the car. We're eating on the go. We're eating at our desk while we're still working. We're eating standing up. All these things. We're like just like shoving food in our face and not actually getting to that point where we can digest food. So that's huge. And that's something that happens well before you even have taken a first bite. It's back to that brain situation. Our brain is the very first part of digesting food. So really, that's one thing that I think a lot of women, of course, it's a struggle. It's not as easy as it sounds to do so, but making that change will already help your digestion so much just to take that time to understand that when you eat food, you need to be in that rest and digest mode. So what happens then? So let's say that we are someone who eats in the car or at work or something and we're just shoving food in our mouth in the five minutes that we have, then of course our chewing is going to be less than ideal. We're going to probably not chew as many times as we should to fully get our food into this basically liquid that it needs to be in to swallow. So like I mentioned, you break down carbohydrates from your saliva that starts the breakdown process right there. And so that amylase, which is the enzyme that breaks down these carbohydrates, doesn't really have time to start working. It doesn't have time to break down when you are just kind of barely chewing your food and swallowing it halfway whole still because you're in a rush. That didn't happen. And then it's going to make it even harder for your stomach to continue that process and for those enzymes to break down the food further down into the system. So really making sure that you're fully chewing your food, that it's getting to the point of being pretty much liquid, which I know is hard for a lot of people. It's much longer than you think. To get it to being liquid and you're nice and relaxed makes a big difference. So again, we haven't gotten into rest and digest mode. We haven't totally chewed our food before we swallowed. And now it's in our stomach, but your stomach is not prepared for that food. It is not at that acidic enough level. Again, we need a highly acidic environment in our stomach in order to continue that breakdown process to where we are actually getting the nutrients out of the food. 
So that doesn't happen. Your liver doesn't know to release bile from your gallbladder. Your pancreas doesn't know to release enzymes because again, we're not in that place where proper digestive cascade has been announced, right? And so then your food just sits there. It just sits there. It rancidifies. It creates gas. So you feel bloated. You feel really full. This is where indigestion can come in or acid reflux. This is where a lot of people just feel so bloated after they eat. So if you are someone that eats and then you feel like you gain 10 pounds right in your stomach, this is why. Because you have not started that digestion properly and your stomach is not acidic enough to handle that and to break down your food in the appropriate amount of time. So you have this kind of extended period of food left in your stomach for longer than it should. And it just basically is sitting there, which we don't want. We do not want that to happen. So this is where really taking a hard look at if you need to support your stomach acid production and and working with that, which is something that I do in my practice with the Good Gut Project and something to consider if you think that might be what you're going through, then that would be a really good chance to do that uh, with my supervision. So then obviously, eventually it will get to a point where your body basically forces that undigested food to travel through your intestines, small and large. This is also really where a leaky gut comes into play. So if you've heard of that leaky gut, otherwise known as intestinal permeability, this is really where that happens. Because like I said, we haven't totally broken down our food and then it's passing through the small intestine. Your small intestine is a place where this food can really disrupt that environment. And so as this undigested food continues to go through your gut, it will latch on to the sides, to the walls of your intestines and create these little kind of like gaps, little cracks in your small intestine. And what happens when those get large enough, those undigested food particles can then leak into your body, leak into your blood system. And this is what causes food sensitivities and what we call leaky gut. So what we need to do, first of all, is is really work on that system up above, but then also work to heal that leaky gut, that intestinal permeability, heal those walls up again so that undigested food, which won't be happening anymore because you have this awesome digestive fire happening above, but it gives it a chance to heal so that you can heal your food sensitivities so that that process is staying inside the gut and doesn't have the ability to leak out to other parts of the body, which is not good. And that is really the root cause of a lot of health issues that we are seeing. So something to really monitor and consider and make it a priority, especially if you know that you have food sensitivities, then now we know why. And now it really becomes a priority to find what's causing the leaky gut. So that's really where it could be something as simple as not totally breaking down your food, not having the right level of stomach acid to break down the food before it gets into the intestines. It could be something else that's preventing that, like a candida overgrowth, a parasite, some other sort of fungal or bacterial infection 
there's just so much that could be going on in your gut. And until you find that out, healing that leaky gut just isn't going to happen. It's just going to be this futile effort. And if you're someone who's ever tried and just kind of thrown a bunch of supplements at it, done all the bone broth and the collagen and all these supplements and haven't had any success, that's why. Because you haven't found out why. What's causing that to happen? And what do you need to do to heal that in order to actually heal that intestinal permeability or leaky gut. So that's something that I get into. I find just so fascinating and so passionate about because it really does make a huge difference to have that knowledge. And I am someone who spent years trying to heal a gut that wasn't ready to be healed. And I spent hundreds of dollars on supplements that didn't do anything because I didn't have the answers I needed. So it's something I'm very passionate about because now in my practice, I see such quick resolution, so much easier when you take the time to know what's going on, which we'll talk about more in a minute. So anyway, undigested food, we're causing a leaky gut to slowly form. And we are now in this process where it's either a case of it affecting your migrating motor complex, perhaps, or your stool being too bulky or whatever, where it causes constipation or the opposite, which is that this undigested food just really disrupts the environment of your gut and your colon's not able to totally handle and process the vitamins and minerals and water. And then you have diarrhea. So there's a lot of things that can happen depending on your body, your situation, and what's going on that can cause this change in your bowel movements. If you are someone that has, and this is really something I highly recommend you start doing, you need to start looking at your poop. You really need to start every single day or however often you go, look at your poop because it makes a huge difference to know this information about yourself. If you have undigested food in your stool, that is a clear sign that what I just mentioned is happening. If your stool is a different color, like if it's green or light, like clay color, then that's also an indication of some issues going on further up. Quite often, that's actually a sign of liver dysfunction, gallbladder dysfunction, specifically with some bile that may have been a little bit sluggish or kind of not healthy bile formation. It will come out in your stool, which is actually quite often in quite common in keto, especially at the beginning, which we'll talk about. So that's something to look into. You want to make sure that it is a normal medium brown color. And unless you've had beets or something like that, then it might be a hint of red and don't let that freak you out. That is normal if you have eaten beets. But the color is going to be important and will also be an indicator of what could be going on in your gut as well. Let's talk about some other things that could be happening. So that was really a case where it kind of started from the very top and worked its way down and the entire digestive process didn't happen. And this is obviously very, very common in a lot of women because of that whole stress response and because of not taking the time to eat your food. And really even stress causes so much more in our guts than just you know that one process I talked about. If you are stressed, it will also hinder your MMC. So like I mentioned, that kind of wave-like process that keeps our digestive flow going. It keeps the waste moving towards being eliminated. 
And if you are stressed out, I mean, think of it, it's a muscle, it's kind of a muscle group. So if you are stressed, like think about when you are stressed and you realize you're holding your shoulders up in your ears or your back is super tight, or you're clenching your fists, or you have a jaw that's rigid and locked because it's a stress response. The same thing happens to your MMC, and that will get kind of stuck, and it won't have the ability to work as it should, and that will cause constipation. So that is a really big culprit for constipation for a lot of women because you just can't let go. There's something that you're not letting go of, whether you know it or not. And that's really a hard thing to determine because it could be an emotion that you've buried that you didn't even know you had still that you haven't dealt with something from childhood or your past marriage or something. And you're still holding on to that. And it will show up as constipation, believe it or not. So keep that in mind. Of course, there are, like I mentioned, other reasons for things like bloating, even weight gain and feeling full after meals and those kinds of situations can also come from specific overgrowths. So having a candida overgrowth, which I know most of you have probably at least heard of, if not looked into for yourself, will cause things like bloating, weight gain, cravings. Cravings are a big one for all of these, actually, sugar cravings, especially if you're keto and you're like, why am I still craving sugar? I'm keto. Definitely look into the gut. Skin issues, too, are very common if you have some sort of actual overgrowth in the gut. So these are things where it's hard because you can go onto Dr. Google and you can determine that you have XYZ overgrowth. You can do whatever protocol, whatever blogger told you to do. And you're spending money, you're going through this process, you're probably eliminating foods in the process, you're taking all these supplements, but that's not actually what was wrong. And so you don't get resolution or it doesn't stay gone. It comes right back as soon as you're done taking the supplements or you add foods back in or something like that. That's really a case where finding out, taking that time to truly find out what is going on in your gut makes all the difference because you don't have to just guess. There's no point in guessing when you have the ability to know. And it takes off a lot of obviously the guesswork and the game of trying to figure out what's wrong with you. It's a relief to know that there is something, even if there is something going on, even if there's something as big as like SIBO or something like that, to know that something is going on is a relief because there's a way out of it. You know what protocol to be on, you know what to do, and there is resolution in sight. But to constantly just be guessing and throwing things at it is not really all that effective quite often. And I see this all the time. And it's one of the biggest reasons why I'm such a huge fan of just doing the work and finding out what's actually going on. So, but again, I get on a rant about that because I'm so passionate about getting the answers. But Those kinds of overgrowths are very common to go on, especially in women, especially if you're in that stressed out state. So keep that in mind too, that it could be an actual overgrowth of something. And speaking of overgrowth, I think we need to talk about our bacteria because our bacterial environment in our gut is enormous and massively important to the health of the rest of our body. And to the point where we don't even know 
Like we're still on the tip of the iceberg as a community of people interested in this form of health, of finding out everything that's going on and everything that's dictated by our environment in our gut as far as the bacteria goes. So it's really just such fascinating information, but it's something that's really important to note that that environment can be off balance very quickly. Again, a stressful environment in the body can make that happen. Also, depending on whether you were a C-section baby or went through the vaginal canal, whether you were breastfed or bottle fed, things like this that happened on the first day of your life can impact the gut bacteria for the future. So all these things are really important to note. If you were heavy on antibiotics when you were little or currently or anything, I mean, all these things really, really can affect your bacterial balance. So it's kind of a case where we're at this time in our lives And in the world where we have such little good bacteria that we can gain in our environment, and it's really become a a time where getting on a good probiotic regimen is is something that is necessary for the long term. And that will make a huge difference in your health. Now, of course, there's a ton of probiotics, and I, I find it overwhelming, and I even like the subject, and I find it overwhelming, mainly because... I hate to say it, but most of them are not up to par. They're not the strength or the quality that you need to actually get improvements in your gut health for the long term. So it is really important to find a really good brand of probiotic that you love. It's good to rotate your probiotics. So find a few really good brands that you love and trust. I think this is where working with a practitioner to get a recommendation is really, really important. Again, something that I do in the Good Gut Project for my clients. So getting on that rotation, just so you're building up the diversity, getting a lot of different strains going on of good bacteria in your gut, but also the abundance. So getting a lot of the good bacteria too, which will really keep that balance in the pro and away from the con. So like I mentioned, can easily go towards the bad bacteria, but as long as you have enough good that is always going to win. That's always going to win. But the bad bacteria can easily take over if you're not really working on building up the beneficial bacteria. So keep that in mind too. And that can throw off, you know, just having that imbalance at all can really throw off your entire digestive system. Your whole gut can really take a hit from that, just from that little change that needs to happen that hasn't. Okay. Let's see if there's any other reasons for some of the things you might be experiencing. For instance, gas. So like I mentioned, the gas that is created when you don't properly break down your food, when your digestive cascade isn't firing, that gas will start by being fermented food in the gut and will continue down and will cause either burping or some pretty bad gas. And we don't want that. So that's really a sign. If that's something that you deal with, then you want to make sure that you are really properly digesting your food because that would be a big one. If you do have any overgrowths of parasite, bacterial, fungal, anything like that, they will also release gas as they are basically surviving in your gut. So something to consider as well. As far as bloating, so really bloating is kind of the same thing 
as gas, very similar things. It's just sometimes that gas is released and sometimes it's not, and it stays in your stomach and makes you feel really bloated. So again, an overgrowth or not totally digesting your food, not having the right bacterial balance, all of these would be reasons for bloating as well. Again, also, if you are constipated, that will come across as bloating too, because your colon, your digestive system is full. So keep that in mind as well. Now, diarrhea, again, very similar, like those all could be a reason for either constipation or diarrhea. Obviously, diarrhea is when your digestive system is moving a little bit too fast. So that would be a situation where everything's kind of just running through and you're not really totally absorbing all of the nutrients from what you have eaten. So something to keep in mind as well. Let's move the conversation towards keto a little bit more specifically and talk about some of the reasons why these changes happen as you go keto. So first of all, the biggest one I think I see is obviously with the increase in fats causes some major digestive upset for some people. A lot of times, most commonly in the form of diarrhea. If you are not totally breaking down your fats and then you start eating more fat, guess what? It's going to go right through you. You're not going to break it down. If you have stool that is floating or looks oily, like maybe the water around it is oily or even like a lighter color, those are all signs that you are not breaking down your fats. If you start eating keto and your stool gets looser towards diarrhea, again, a sign you're not totally breaking down your fats. And really all this is, first of all, remember we need that digestive cascade to start. So we need that signal for the liver to release bile from the gallbladder. And so we, you first of all need to make sure that you're getting in that rest and digest mode so that that whole process can happen. But then you also need to make sure that you are producing good, high quality, clean bile. So you can kind of think about bile as, I don't know, for some reason I think of it as like oil in a car. And like when you first get an oil change, it's so clean. And then as we drive the car before our next oil change, it gets dirtier and dirtier, more and more sluggish, and not quite as able to handle what we want our car to do. So think of it that in the same way. And this really commonly happens if you are someone who has not eaten good high quality fats or has been on a low fat diet ever in your life, then you will most likely have a little bit of an issue getting good high quality bile produced in the liver. This is where supporting your liver is going to be really, really important and really making sure that you're getting a good high quality liver support, that you're getting those good high quality fats. We actually need the fatty acids from these good high quality fats to make bile. So they really will start that whole process. It just takes a little bit of time. It's a learning experience for your body. It's going to take some time to get that bile cleaned up and get that whole process flowing freely again. In the meantime, definitely do everything you can to support the liver. I'm going to have a whole liver loving episode coming up shortly, which I think will be really fun. There are some great herbs and herbal supports you can use. Milk thistle's great. Dandelion's great. Any sort of bitter flavor is awesome. Any sort of sour type flavor like lemon, lime, any like citrus situation is great. 
Of course, leafy greens are amazing. So those dark leafies, get those in on a daily basis. And it really makes a huge difference, but you've got to take good care of your liver. Also, this is a time where any sort of sweating you can do. So going to hot yoga, doing a workout, getting into a sauna, getting into a hot bath and letting yourself sweat. Anything you can do to start that detox process and keep it going on a regular basis is very helpful for the liver. So Yeah, we all really, when starting the ketogenic diet, should also be starting, if we haven't already, on a really good liver-loving protocol. And that's something that is part of the Fat-Burning Female Project. It's part of the the Happy Hormones Project, and it's part of the Good Gut Project, because I firmly believe in our liver health being a top priority for anything we're doing as women, honestly. So there we go. (laughs) Start that liver protocol and look out for that episode. It will be coming up in the next few. So be on the lookout for that. Another reason why your digestion might change when you go keto is because you are using MCT oil. So MCT oil is very much known for being kind of a trigger for some people for diarrhea or for looser stools. So if you notice that and then you cut out the MCT oil and you're better, hey, just don't take MCT oil. It's fine. I never use MCT oil. I'm in ketosis. I feel really good. I have the mental clarity I'm looking for. So it's not like a critical thing to have in your diet if you're going keto. You can definitely go without it, especially if it's going to make your digestion better. So don't worry about that. Next, we have our electrolytes. Again, with those darn electrolytes that when they get a little bit awry, they can show up in changes your digestion too. And this would be a case potentially if you start noticing constipation as you go keto because we are kind of have some water displacement happening when we do transition to ketosis. And that's really where the electrolytes come into play to keep your hydration or the level of hydration that your body thinks it has in homeostasis. So that's where drinking the water with salt in it, good high quality sea salt, like pink Himalayan, Celtic gray, something like that sea salt, in your water will definitely help loosen those stools a little bit. So make that a priority to get that salty water. Take your electrolyte supplements, which if you don't know which ones to take, I would recommend listening to the episode I did on supplements. I want to say it was number 18 or 16 or somewhere around there. I'll link to it in the show notes to get the supplements that I recommend most for your electrolytes. It makes a huge difference. Magnesium, that's really a case where You know, even non-keto people are pretty deficient in magnesium and going keto can make that even more intense. So really make sure you're taking a great magnesium support. Take it regularly. Find your dose. It could very well be a higher dose than it says on the label if you are that deficient. So go ahead and find your own dose and really you can use the health of your stool as an indicator. So if your stools start getting a little too loose after taking magnesium, then that is too much for you. So find that dose where you have regular stools, you feel good, you're calm, you're sleeping well, which are all things that magnesium does, but you also have formed stools and that's your dose. That's really, again, hugely common when the transition to keto starts, but something that is very easily changeable. 
very easily fixable with rebalancing your water. And again, just drinking regular water too. Salt in the water, of course, yes, sometimes, but hydrate, hydrate, hydrate as well. All right, next, as far as keto goes, you can be in a case where unintentionally you're eating less fiber. So especially if you're someone who's kind of on that realm of being scared to eat veggies as part of your keto diet because you've heard there are too many carbs or something, or you just don't like vegetables, so then you just go eating all the fat and and protein, then you have basically lowered the amount of of bulk, of formation that comes out as waste. But we really do need that insoluble fiber to keep our digestion flowing, to kind of push it along, and also to keep it formed. So yeah, we're getting some really good benefits out of that fiber, and one of which is really good poops. So make sure that you are not compromising the amount of fiber you are eating by going keto. You should still be having lots and lots of veggies. Don't worry about the carb content unless you're having all beets. If you're having like 10 beets a day, you might need to worry about the carb content. But you know, with what we're eating and what we naturally gravitate towards as keto women, we don't need to worry so much about that as we do want to really make sure we're getting in that fiber. So keep that in mind. Lastly, well, maybe these kind of go hand in hand, but we'll still talk about them together. I would say food sensitivities and or dairy increases. And food sensitivities, I mentioned them up when I was talking about the leaky gut situation. And it's something that is honestly, I have yet to see anyone in my practice that doesn't have food sensitivities. So it's just going to happen. It's just the world that we live in and what our bodies are currently kind of faced with. So food sensitivities are quite common. And it might be a case where you don't yet know what your food sensitivities are, which again, I highly recommend testing for those instead of trying to guess at them yourself. Makes all the difference in the world. But when you are having these food sensitivities and then it could be something that you don't know and then you start eating more of it on keto, which again, I see all the time. Like coconut, for example, is something that a lot of people are intolerant to. And then you start eating all the coconut oil, all the coconut milk, all the coconut yogurt, all this stuff, because now you're keto and looking for high fat options. And it's causing your body to freak out a little bit more than it was. And this is a situation where we have to figure out that food sensitivity. And then you have to take it out for a little bit, heal the gut, and you'll be fine after that. But until you know what that sensitivity is, then it could show up as having changes in your stool. This is where diarrhea or constipation or bloating or gas or all the things we've just talked about could be at play there. So it's really important to find that information out, especially if you notice these things when going keto and you've tried all the other stuff and you're still having issues, then we may need to check out those food sensitivities and see what you're eating more of now that you shouldn't be. And one of those big ones is dairy. So, you know, if you can't get this test done or you don't know where to turn, but you're still having digestive issues and you don't know what's up, I would say definitely take some time to eliminate the dairy. Just do it. I know it's hard. I know we all love our dairy. It's worth it. Take out the dairy. See how you do. See what changes happen. I would also highly recommend 
taking out these sugars, these like fake sweeteners, I guess. And I don't want to say fake because not all of them are fake. A lot of them are real, but just take out the sweeteners in general because we all have different reactions to them. If there's some that are sugar, alcohol, even if it's erythritol, which is not supposed to have an effect on your gut, it does for some people, including myself. So I've been there. I can tell a difference. So I know that it happens. It would be worth it to take that out. Some people react to stevia. So take that out too. At minimum, start there and see if those things that maybe now you're eating more of without even knowing it could be causing those issues until you know your actual food sensitivities for you. Okay. Lastly, let's chat about how keto can actually help your digestion. So I have a lot of women who actually start keto in an effort to get their digestion on track. And it's a really great move to make. Some of the big reasons, I think really the biggest reason for a lot of people is that taking out carbohydrates, which obviously are sugar, they all turn to glucose in our system. That is a feeding mechanism for a lot of these overgrowths that I talked about in this episode. So when you have carbohydrates, you are feeding those overgrowths and allowing them to continue to survive in your gut. So when you eliminate these foods, then you are quote unquote starving the overgrowth, whether it's bacterial, fungal, parasitic, blah, blah, blah. So while you're not totally eradicating it, and I think this is a really important point to get across, diet changes are awesome for healing some things in the gut, but they are not the only thing. There's always a protocol that has to be attached to that diet change depending on what's going on in your specific gut. So that's where the difference really comes in and where it's really hard to, you know, just follow AIP or low FODMAP or whatever it may be and not see total resolution because you're not going to. You're not going to see total resolution until you really take the time to see what is going on specifically in your digestive system. So again, getting off track here, but I wanted to make that point because a lot of people will make these diet changes and you will get some relief. I will call it symptom relief by going keto with some of these overgrowths or things you're experiencing because of them. You'll probably notice it as, you know, the bloating and the gas and constipation diarrhea that we talked about. So you can get some symptom improvement through going keto for those. And then you add on top of that a specific healing protocol and you are good to go, which is really nice. But also, as I've mentioned many times in the past 34 episodes, keto is so awesome for healing your immune system, which is something that is very much triggered when we have gut issues. 70 to 75% of our overall immune system resides in our gut. So that's really important. And just getting that regulated, I think is huge. And actually producing ketones is really great for that. And then also lowering your inflammation. So all of this, anything we just talked about causes an inflammatory response in your gut. And so to be able to reduce some of that inflammation by producing ketones is really important. And all of this just really helps move along that healing process. So like I said, I mean, I hate to say it, but I'd say like 95% of you listening have a leaky gut or that intestinal permeability that we talked about. And so being able to 
get to the point where that can heal, which would be through, you know, knowing your food sensitivities and taking them out and then finding out what's going on in your gut and getting on a healing protocol for that. Once those things happen, then actually healing the gut lining is quick and easy. It can be pretty easy from there once your gut is ready to be healed. And that's where keto and the healing benefits of producing ketones really come into play because then that healing process is just expedited even further. And so you will really notice some major improvements really quickly. And it's something I see in my practice so often, which is great because many of us who have been dealing with digestive issues have been dealing with them for years. And then to see resolution happen so quickly is pretty darn amazing. So definitely anyone that has issues with their digestion, I do always highly recommend a ketogenic diet for those reasons. But at minimum, you will see symptom improvement from those symptoms that you're experiencing because of whatever's going on by adopting a keto diet. And then, you know, of course, over the longer haul, as we all make this a lifestyle, you'll notice just awesome, awesome benefits with your actual digestion as you continue to heal your body and it becomes more of a lifestyle and you're just killing it, right? So your digestion will thank you as well. Okay, that covers a lot of it, probably not all of it. That was a lot of information to go over. And as you can see, I love talking about it. I find it such a fascinating system that we have in our body that just keeps us going and healthy and thriving. But of course, one of them that can go off kilter quickly and we feel it. And then it's like all we can think about is how much our digestion is not where we want it to be. I've so been there. So that being said, As you all know, I do have a course, a small group class that I teach more about this, where we find out what exactly is going on in your gut, what exactly are your food sensitivities, and what do we need to do to heal those specifically for you. And it's where we can work more closely together. I can create a protocol for you because really, I think the biggest takeaway that I want you all to know about poop is that it really should be pretty darn normal. And if it's not, and if you are bloated after you eat, like that's not normal. It's not normal to eat a meal and then feel like you have to go lay down or like loosen your pants or something like that. It's very much should be a case where you feel great after you eat. That's how we should feel. And that you should be pooping one to three times a day and they should be formed and easy to pass and not have undigested food in them or not be floating. You know, there's a lot that can easily go wrong. And all it is, it's the same that I say with a lot of the things we talk about here on Keto for Women. It's just a sign. It's your body giving you a message that something's up and something needs to be figured out. So that's what I do in the Good Gut Project for you. And so I do highly recommend that if it's something that you need to work on. I'm happy to help you. I'd love to help you, as you know. And as you can tell by this episode, so love talking about it. (laughs) So not a class that is currently open for enrollment, but I will be opening for the next Good Gut Project at the end of the month. So in a few more weeks, we will be able to enroll you in the Good Gut Project and get you some answers. So keep that in mind, and I will announce it as it gets closer. 
Okay. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it was a lot of talk about what's going on in our bodies, but I think we all can be super empowered just knowing a little bit more about what actually goes on in in this body of ours. Before we move on to what's coming to Keto for Women in the next few weeks, a quick reminder to check out this episode's sponsor, Health IQ, the company that brings life insurance savings to the health conscious. Head to healthiq.com slash keto to take your lifestyle quiz and see if you qualify for a lower rate. That's healthiq.com slash keto. Next week, I think I'm going to do it. I hope you guys will respond and give me some really good questions. I'm going to do a rapid fire hot seat. Let's answer all the questions get them out there because I just, honestly, I can't keep up with them. To be totally honest, I cannot keep up with your questions. So I think it will be a little bit easier if I can just ask on Instagram the first, however many people respond with a quick question, I'll answer it. That's going to be the way that I might be doing these Q&A sessions from now on. We're going to give it a try next week. So be on the lookout on Instagram It's going to only be an Instagram. I got to keep it all in one place just to make it more streamlined. If you're on Instagram, check out a post that will be asking for your questions. Please keep them brief and I will answer them on next week's episode. I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a whole variety of topics. Honestly, it doesn't even have to be completely keto related. I'm cool with that if it's something about women's health in general or my life or your life or relationships. Just kidding. Don't ask me about relationships. I don't have an answer. (laughs) Um, But no, just whatever you want. I think it'd be really fun to open up the box to anything. So that will be next week. And then we have another interview with a special guest the following week. I'll catch you all there. Until then, have a great week. 